The following message is brought to you by George Lawson, Jr., pastor and Bible teacher with Baltimore Bible Church. We'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible. For more information about this ministry, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. So let's now open our Bibles and follow along with Pastor George as we loose the Scriptures and let them speak. Turn with me to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1 is where will be today, and uh, very grateful for uh, the worship that's already gone up to the Lord and uh, the testimony of uh, salvation, and uh, uh, we know that uh, the assurance of uh, salvation uh, uh, comes to us in, in part by uh, the changed life, uh, the regeneration that takes place in our hearts, and uh, the, the, the change that the Lord uh, makes in our life as well, so we're very grateful uh, to hear about that. As I mentioned to you uh, last week, uh, we're preparing ourselves to jump into a new book, the book of Daniel. Very excited about uh, jumping into the book of of Daniel. But uh, before we get there, and in light of all that's been going on in the world, in the church, and some of our lives uh, individually, uh, my heart was drawn to give attention to the Lord who's in charge of all of it. Uh, The the Lord who's, who's in charge, and specifically to the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18 that all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus is the Lord of creation, and he's also the Lord of the church. He's Lord of the nations. He's Lord over those who acknowledge him as Lord. He's Lord over those who do not acknowledge him as Lord. You cannot get away from the lordship of Jesus Christ. Putin will bow Biden will bow. Whether you fight for freedom, whether you fight for tyranny, you will bow. Every world leader, every politician, every military leader, every religious leader, everyone who wants nothing to do with religion, everyone in home, everyone outside of the home, every individual dead or alive will bow the knee to Jesus Christ. You cannot get away and you will not get away from the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, it says, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And even if you didn't have knees, your knees will be created for you so that you can bow on that day. Every knee will bow to Jesus Christ. This is where history is heading. History is linear. We're all moving forward to this destination, and our destination will be the throne of Jesus Christ, and everyone will bow before that throne. It will be a a joy for some. It will be a terror for others, but it's unavoidable. Jesus is the focus of all history, and he's the the focus of the scriptures as well. It's been said that uh, Jesus is the focus of both testaments and the grand theme that binds the two together. Jesus spoke to the Jewish people in John 5 and 39 and said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is these that bear witness of me. And after his resurrection, he caught up with some of his disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24, and in verse 27, it says, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. There's not a section of Scripture that you can turn to that is not connected to Jesus Christ. He he may not be in every passage. You don't read Jesus into every passage, but you can get to Jesus from every passage. And one of the most Christ-centered books in all of the Bible 
outside of the Gospels and outside of its close cousins in the, the book of Hebrews and the book of Revelation is the book of Colossians. Uh, the book of Colossians is a Christ-saturated book. It's been called one of the, the most Christ-centered books of all of the Bible, if not the most Christ-centered book in the Bible. And if I were to sum up the entire book of Colossians, it would be with the two words, supreme and sufficient. Jesus is supreme and Jesus is sufficient. He's first of all and Jesus is all in all. He's considered to be the first in all things. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18, it says, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. And Jesus is to be considered all in all things. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 11, it says, Christ is all and in all. So Christ isn't just number one. Christ is number one, two, three, four, five. Jesus is all over it. He's not just, just number one. He's, he's all. Jesus is all. And if we have Christ, we have all that we need. We, we have sufficiency if we have Jesus Christ. H.C.G. Uh, Moore was an evangelical Anglican evangelist and a theologian, and in the early 1900s, he wrote the summary of the book of, of Colossians. It's kind of a lengthy summary, but I thought it was worthy of, of reading it to us. In the epistle before us, speaking about the book of Colossians, he says, before us, we have all along been considering him. He has been the answer to every question, whether of truth or of life. We have gazed upon the majesty of his person, on the mysterious glory of his headship, alike over nature and over the church. On his redeeming blood, on his life-giving life, on his enthroned rest above, on his promised return. We have seen in him the inmost secret of God disclosed for us. We have had a glimpse of the pure eternal gold of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge heaped and stored in him. Yes, all the fullness of the God Godhead dwelling body-wise in him. We have seen him as the mighty basis of the Christian standing. He has blotted out the handwriting that was against us, nailing it to his cross. He has embodied us into himself. He is at once the power and the law of the Christian life. He is the peace of the Christian heart. He is the lamp and hearth of the Christian home. It is he who binds souls together, or rather, as it were, fuses them into one, till people as distant as possible in race and associations, like Paul and Onesimus, know and love each other as more than brothers. He is all things and in all as so now. He is the Lord of time, being the Son eternal. So we in the Colossians are neighbors and contemporaries in him to our questions too, he is the answer. The peace of our conscience, the power and purity of our spirits, the light and life of our homes, the sun and star of our everlasting hope. The old page, this book, lives to us and understands us and converses with us in the heart of Jesus Christ. That's good. So, so if you don't mind, and even if you do mind, we're going to spend some time focusing on Jesus Christ today, the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Let's take a look at Colossians chapter 1. Our focus will be verses 15 to 17, uh, but we'll read through verse 20 just for the sake of context. Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 15. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body of the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure 
for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Why don't you bow with me for a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Father, we pray that we would see Christ, that you would help us to have a greater appreciation for our Savior, the one who is Lord of creation and Lord of the church, and Lord of our lives for those of us who've come before you, Lord, and recognized Jesus Christ as, as Lord. It's a, it's a good thing. It is a glorious thing. It's, a, it's an exciting thing to know that he's Lord. But Father, for those who reject Jesus Christ, he's still Lord. <laughs> he doesn't change who he is. And one day they will bow before the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And our Father, we pray that it's sooner rather than later. Uh, Father, may you be glorified and uh, may you use me as a weak instrument to be a blessing to your people, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We've only read a couple verses from Colossians chapter one, only, only six verses, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, six verses. 15 personal pronouns in these six verses used of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is he who is the image of the invisible God. In him, by him, for him, were all things created. He is before all things. In him, all things hold together. He is the head of the body. He is the beginning. He himself will come to have first place in everything. All the fullness dwells in him. Through him are all things reconciled to himself, through his cross, through him, I say. I hope you get the point of the passage. It's all about him, right? Him. And there's a reason that Colossians is considered the most Christ-saturated book in the Scriptures. And here in particular, we find Christ described as having supremacy in two areas. First, he's described as supreme in creation in verses 15 through 17. He's the, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And next, he's described as having supremacy within the church, verses 18 to 20, which we'll get to next week, but it specifically speaks about his headship in the body, which is the church. He's Lord of the creation. He's Lord of the church, and many have pointed out the similarities between these two sections in Colossians chapter 1. In verse 15, Jesus is called the firstborn of all creation. In verse 18, Jesus is called the firstborn from the dead. In verse 16, it speaks of all things created in the heavens and on the earth. In verse 20, it speaks of Christ reconciling, reconciling all things, whether things in earth or things in heaven. Verse 15 to 17 repeats this idea of all things, and verses 18 to 20 repeats the idea of all things. And in the Greek language, there's even more parallels uh, within the, the language that's written here that you can't always see in the English. But in verse 15, it says, he is, actually using a, a relative pronoun uh, for Jesus Christ. And in verse 17, it also says, he himself is. Then again, in verse 18, it says, he himself is, and then returns to, he is. There, there's there's a, a pattern that's being developed here. There's parallelism. There's repetition that's here. And because of the parallelism and the symmetry, the repetition of words and themes, many scholars have concluded that what we have here before us is an ancient hymn of the church. This is a hymn to Christ as God. It's more than just doctrine. This is doxology. It's more than, than simply preaching. This is praise. This is Paul laying out more than just an argument. This is his adoration to Jesus Christ as God. 
And this fits well with what we know about the ancient hymns of the the church. There was a man by the name of Pliny the Younger, who was an ancient Roman politician and author, and he wrote to the emperor Trajan, who was the emperor at that time, AD 111 or AD 112, to tell him about this strange sect known as Christians. And listen to what he said about Christians. He's writing about Christians in the early church. Listen to what what he writes about them. He says, Christians in Bithynia met on a fixed day before dawn. You know, so if we really want to be like the early church, we have to come here a lot earlier, you know. Before the crack of dawn, you know, the Christians have to be gathered. But they gathered together before dawn. And listen to what they did. They recited an antiphonal hymn to Christ as God. That's what they recited. They were reciting these hymns of praise to Christ as God. And many believe that Colossians 1 15 to 20, would have been one of those earliest hymns that the church would have been singing to one another, praising Christ as God. And why is it so important for Paul to begin the body of his letter in this way? I mean, we're in verse 15, but this is really the beginning of the body of the book of Colossians. In uh, verses 1 through 14 in chapter 1, it's basically Paul's introduction and a prayer for the Colossian church. Paul starts out in verse 3 by saying, We give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. In verse 9, again, it says, For this reason also since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray. In verses 12 to 14, he explains why he is giving thanks to God the Father. Giving thanks, verse 12 says, to the Father who has qualified us, for, uh, qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Verses uh, 3 to 14 are really this prayer that's being offered to God and Paul explaining uh, this prayer. It's only in verse 15 that he starts to begin the body of his letter and he starts it out by saying, he is the image of the invisible God. Speaking about Jesus Christ. And why is Paul jumping right away to the supremacy of Christ? The, the reason that Paul is anxious uh, to get to the supremacy of Christ is because there were false teachers that were circulating around the Colossian church. As you continue to read through this book, it becomes clear that, that all was not well in Colossae. Whether it was one teacher or a group of teachers, there was false teaching that was working its way through the Colossian church that was seeking to diminish the person of Jesus Christ. Just, just briefly, real quick, take a look at uh, chapter 2. Flip over to chapter 2. Look at verse, verse 3. Chapter 2 and verse 3. In whom, again speaking about Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In, in Christ you find all of that. And why is he saying this? Look at verse 4. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. Somebody is trying to convince you that there's wisdom to be gained, spiritual wisdom, outside of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, don't be fooled. Don't be deluded by that. Look at uh, chapter 2 and verse 8. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy, empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. You're going to find everything that you need in Christ. Don't, Don't be fooled. Don't be taken captive by those that say they have some kind of philosophy and some kind of tradition uh, that would exclude Jesus Christ, that would diminish Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 2, verse 16. Verse 16. He says, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Again, you keep on seeing these comparisons between other things in Christ. This in Christ, you know, these these worldly philosophies in Christ. Christ is who you need. Drop down to verse 18 and 19, chapter 2. 
Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head. And who is the head? Jesus Christ. It's Christ. Don't let anybody delude you, take you captive, act as your judge, keep on defrauding you. Christ is all and he's in all. Jesus is first. He has all the wisdom, all the fullness, all the power, all the life that you need. You don't need to look outside of him for salvation, for growth, for fulfillment. You have all that you need in Jesus Christ. But the false religion in Colossae was trying everything else besides Jesus Christ. And it was losing Christ in the middle of it. It wasn't just one error, it was many errors combined. And often when people study the book of Colossians, they, they try to come up with, well, what was this particular religion? And it's really not one religion, it's like this blending of several streams of religion. It's like a, a patchwork religion. Pulls a little bit from here, pulls a little bit from there, a little bit from Judaism, a little bit from you know, the Greek paganism, a little bit from you know, asceticism. They're just kind of pulling everything in and saying, we, we kind of come up with our own patchwork religion, combining all the elements to make, you know, uh, make, make one, something better out of all these different strands. It was a combination of Greek philosophy, Jewish ritualism, pagan mysticism, asceticism. There were Gnostic tendencies in this. They were seeking hidden wisdom, worshiping angels, trying to keep Sabbath days, Jewish dietary laws, imposed ascetic practices, you know, these strict rules that they would try to follow, even, you know, treating their bodies harshly in order to get closer to God. And they believed that all matter was, was bad, you know, physical matter was bad, spirit is good. And it's really, like I said, a patchwork of false religion, and they assumed that there was good in all of it. They, they wanted to throw Christ in there along with the rest of their false religion and just thought, you know, hey, we, we can just add Christ to the mix. You know, the, the more the merrier. I remember uh, John MacArthur, he told a story once about when he was visiting Arkansas, and he went into this little shop, a little quilt shop, to try to pick up a, a gift for his wife. And he said that these quilts, like, they just had no rhyme or reason with anything. You know, nothing matched anything else. And he's going through the shop trying to find something that he might be able to, to get his wife. And he's like, I just had a hard time finding anything that I could bring home. And he says, and as I made my way to the back of this little shop, I saw a little library. And it was a religious library. And there's, there's a little bit from everybody. You know, the New Age and the Christians and the, you know, Judaism. And, you know, just everything's back there. Just a patchwork of everything. And he asked the, the owner of the shop, he said, hey, you, you know, you've got quite a library over here, a lot of, a lot of different, different teachings back here. And he says, yeah, there's good in all of it. There is good in all of it. And he says, he started to look at the, the quilts, and he says, that's pretty much what this guy has done with his religion. He's patchworked it together, you know, a little piece from here, a little piece from there. It doesn't have to match you know, there has to be no rhyme or reason to it, but there's good in all of it. We just throw it together. It's good in all of it. And I can say it like that because I, I used to, to serve in Arkansas. Good in all of it. But that's what this religion was. It was a little bit of everything. Philosophies of men, ritualism, mysticism, asceticism, all forms of spirituality combined to make this religion that devalued and diminished Jesus Christ. So Paul opens up this letter, this, this hymn to Christ as God, and he says that, that Christ is supreme. <laughs> you, you don't need all these other things. He is supreme and he is sufficient. And it's as if Paul only had to mention the Son of God, you know, to just kind of uh, release the flood of praise that was offered up to God. 
He wants to elevate their understanding of who Christ is. And in verses 15 to 17, uh, we're given these three truths that we have to keep in mind. But uh, there's really two major headings. We have, uh, first of all, uh, the supremacy of Christ is described. We have these titles that are given to Jesus Christ. Supremacy of Christ described. Look at uh, verse 15 again. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And before we get to the, uh, the defense of Christ as, as God, we have to look at uh, this description. We have uh, these two words that are mentioned. The first word is image. He is the image of the invisible God. That's uh, the Greek word icon. It's where we get our English word icon from. And its basic meaning has to do with a resemblance or a likeness. It's something that re- resembles or represents something else. And you might be tempted to walk away from this verse and say, well, hey, you know, it says right here that Jesus isn't actually God. He just represents God. You know, he's just a resemblance of God. But that's not how this word would have been understood in this context. Actually, uh, R. Kent Hughes, he points out that in ancient thought, that word icon was thought in some way to participate in the substance of the object it symbolized. It had a share in the reality Thus, Christ, as God's image, does not mean that he's a copy of God or like him. He is God in human life, the projection of God on the canvas of humanity, the embodiment of the divine in the world of men. In other words, it was a way to speak about Christ being God. And there's three different ways that this uh, word could be used in Scripture and is used in Scripture. You have the uh, the idea of uh, uh, imaging somebody physically. I actually have that uh, mentioned over in uh, Luke chapter 20. If you remember when Jesus took a coin, you know, took a, a denarius and he, you know, held it up and said, whose image or likeness is on this coin? And they said, oh, it's Caesar's, right? Because it was a physical representation of a physical person. But when we speak about God, God doesn't have a physical person that we can represent in that way, right? So we're, we're not talking about a physical image in this case. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 18 talks about God and says, to whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare with him? You know, if you're going to draw a picture of God, where are you going to start? You know, the, uh, the ancients, the, the Near Eastern religions, they would fashion idols, precious metals, you know, to kind of represent their deities. You know, this is what my God looks like. And basically Isaiah is saying, if, if you want to, you know, make a picture of God, where are you going to start? What, what does he look like? What likeness will you compare to this God? There is no representation of God in that way. Nobody has seen him. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 15, it says, So watch yourselves carefully, since you did not see any form on the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb from the midst of the fire, lest you act corruptly and make a graven image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female. Don't try to give a physical representation of God. It doesn't exist. Number two. Uh, another way that an image could be represented was uh, uh, you could have uh, somebody bear an image representatively, all right? A man is a representative, right, of God on the earth. Genesis 126 speaks about that. You know, he shares things with God that the animals don't. We've been made in the image of God. We have a spiritual capacity to us and an intellectual capacity that no other creature does. We're also given the right to rule over the earth, to imitate God, to have dominion in that way. Uh, But even though we're made in the image of God, God makes sure that we understand that there's a big difference between us and him. He's totally other. That's what the the word holy primarily represents, that he is other. He's distinct. It's not like us. 
Isaiah 46 and verse 5 again says, To whom would you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we would be alike? Isaiah 46, 9, Remember the former things long past, for I am God. There is no other I am God, and there was no one like me. And in uh, Psalm uh, chapter 50, Psalm 50 and verse 21, it says, You thought I was just like you. <laughs> it says, I will reprove you and state the case in order before your eyes. You're not like me. You know, so, so God makes sure that there's that distinction. So there was this imaging in, in a physical way, and imaging in a representative way, and then thirdly, there's an imaging in an identical way. And this is where Christ fits. Christ is not made in the image of God. Christ is the image of God. Turn, turn your Bibles over to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. This is just a parallel passage to uh, the book of Colossians in so many ways, but Hebrews chapter 1 uh, speaks about this idea of, of God and Jesus Christ being the, the image of God. Hebrews chapter 1, let's start at verse 1 here. Hebrews chapter 1, starting at verse 1, it says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. He, he, he images God identically, exactly, exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Uh, that word that's used for the express image of God, it's the Greek word character. It's where we get our English word character from. It's a word that means a mark or an imprint. Uh, it was used for a, a tool that would engrave, you know, something, a, a mark that was uh, made by an impression, referred to an exact reproduction. You know, when an engraver was done with his work, you know, whatever was being engraved bore all the marks of the tool. You know, just kind of like the, you know, that example that I've used of a typewriter. You know, whatever is on the, the face of that lever, you know, as it strikes the ribbon, you know, what's left on the page is exactly what was on the, 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 uh, the image, the, 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 the lever that was struck down on the, on the ribbon. And when Hebrews says that Christ is the character of God, it means that Christ bears all the marks of deity. There, there's nothing that sets the Father apart as God that does not also set aside the Son as God. He has all the marks of divinity. There's nothing that he's lacking. He's the fullness, as Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9 says, he's the fullness of deity in bodily form. That's why when Philip says to Jesus Christ, you know, Lord, can you show us the Father? <laughs> you know, he turns around to, to Philip and says, have I been so long with you? <laughs> and you, you yet have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. You're not missing anything. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How would you now say, show us the Father? In John chapter 12 and verse 45, he says, he who beholds me beholds the one who sent me. If you see me, you see the Father. It's, it's been said in a, uh, maybe not in, a, in the, the most respectful way, but it says if God were to look in a mirror, he would see Jesus Christ. I mean, everything that is true about the Father in that sense that sets him apart as deity is true about the Son. Jesus is God in his very nature. Christ is not somewhere down the line beneath God. Christ is very God. Second title is the firstborn. Take a look back at uh, Colossians chapter 1 again. Firstborn. 
It says in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And there's some groups like the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses who will take a verse like this and without any regard for the context, they'll say, hey, look, right there it says he's the firstborn. You know, which means that Christ was the first one created and then everything else was created after him and he created everything else. You know, that's, that's what this means. They'll even try to support that uh, by their mistranslation. You know, their, their new world mistranslation, which, which adds the word other four times in five verses to try to confuse it. Listen, listen to what the, the New World Mistranslation says. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, because by means of him all other things were created in the heavens and on the earth. Things visible, invisible. All other things have been created through him and for him. He is also before all other things, and by means of him all other things were made to exist. Get your hands off the text. Do not tamper with the text. Loose the scriptures and let them speak. God does not need your help, okay? You don't need to insert these words to try to prove your point. You have to do all these kinds of gymnastics to get around the plain meaning of the text. And this is exactly the kind of false teaching that Paul was arguing against when he said that Jesus was firstborn. And the way to understand firstborn, all you really need to do is look at the context. Look down at verse 18. Verse 18, it says, he is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Now, let me ask you a question. Was Jesus Christ the first person to die? No. Was Jesus Christ the first person to be resurrected? No. But of all the people who have ever died, guess who's the most important? Jesus. <laughs> Firstborn does not mean the, the first in order, but the first in rank. The most important. That's what the firstborn signifies, okay? Uh, the word that's used here for firstborn in the Greek language is uh, uh, prototokos. It was originally used just to mean the, the first natural born in a, in a family. Uh, but we know uh, that as Scripture continued to, uh, to speak about this, this role, this uh, position, it eventually came to mean the person who has the preeminence. Whoever has the preeminence was considered the person who was the, the firstborn. Whoever was first in rank received that title firstborn. Just to give you an example, uh, Genesis chapter 25, there are two brothers, twins in the womb, right? Jacob and Esau. Uh, Esau came out first. Remember, Jacob was, uh, you know, grabbing his heel, trying to pull him back to get out first. Esau came out first. He was the firstborn naturally. But guess who had the position of firstborn? It was Jacob. It was Jacob. He had the, the position of prominence. He, he earned the birthright. This is how the word was used. Exodus chapter 4, verse 22. If you remember, uh, God gave Moses a message for Pharaoh. He told Pharaoh... Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn. What, what does that mean? Is, is Israel the first nation in the world? No, Israel wasn't the first nation. But out of all the nations that existed, guess who was the most important nation? It was Israel. It was a position of prominence. In uh, Psalm 89 and verse 27, when speaking of, of David and really uh, future about Jesus Christ, it says, I also shall make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Another question, was David the firstborn son of Jesse? No, he was actually the lastborn. 
He was the one, the runt, like, uh, do you really want to see him? Look at all these other boys that I got. Don't you want to crown them as king? No, let me see the lastborn son. And guess who he becomes? The firstborn, because he had the title of preeminence. It's used of the most important, the, the furthest in rank. Uh, Job 18, verse 13, speaks of the firstborn of death to speak about the most painful death. Isaiah 14, 30 speaks of uh, the firstborn of the helpless to speak about the person who's the most helpless. It's the most, the, the furthest, the highest. So when we come to this word firstborn in Colossians chapter 1, 15, it doesn't refer to the order of Christ's birth, that he's just born first and everybody was born after him. What it's really saying is that Jesus Christ is the most important out of all those who've been created. Jesus is the most important. He has the position of preeminence over creation. He has a rank above creation. That's the idea that's given here. Like I said again in Colossians 2.9, it speaks about Jesus having the fullness of deity in bodily form. How in the world could you get to Jesus being created when it says that he's God? Jesus holds the title of supremacy. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn, the supreme over all creation. That's what the rest of this text goes on to defend. Why can we consider Jesus to have this kind of position? Back to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Verse 16, for. Why, why does he have these titles? That, that's really what Paul is going on to explain. Here's the first point. Why, why can he have these titles? For by him all things were created. It's the, the Greek preposition, hati. It's saying that it's because, because of this. Why, why, why can we understand Jesus to have these titles? Because he's the one who does what? He's the creator. <laughs> he's the one who creates all things. Why can he be called the, the most supreme? Because he's the creator of everything. That's why. It's his handiwork. All of creation. Why wouldn't he be over it? He created it. That's the point here. John 1 and verse 3 says, uh, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. If it's been created, it's been created by Christ. And just to make sure that nobody misses the point, he goes on to enumerate what he created. What did he create? Things in heaven, things on the earth, things that are visible, things that are invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, everything. There's nothing that's been created that hasn't been created by Jesus Christ. And he even goes on to mention these four classes of angelic beings, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, and this is significant because there were those that actually gave an undue uh, kind of acknowledgement and even worship to angels. So he says, you know, whatever angels you're thinking about, you know, giving some kind of, you know, uh, worship to, Christ made those. <laughs> Christ made those angels. Well, it's not proper for any created thing to receive the kind of worship that Christ does. Nothing else should receive worship. And twice in the book of Revelation, the, the apostle John uh, was tempted to to fall down before an angel and to worship him as, you know, these, these mighty beings were giving revelation and he's just, he just falls down at their feet. And what do the angels say? Get up! What in the world are you doing? Don't do that! I'm a servant just like you. Don't kneel down before me, John. Get up on your feet. Worship him. Do, do not bow down before me. Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas, they heal a, a lame man through the power of God. The crowd begins to worship them. You know, they, they want to bring their, their sacrifices to them. And what do they do? They, they run out into the crowd, tearing their clothes, and saying, men, why are you doing these things? We're men just like you. Don't do that. Get up. Do not do that. Do not worship us. We don't deserve worship. Another story, Acts chapter 12. 
There was a king named Herod who gave a, a speech, and some people started to flatter him because of this speech. And they said, you know what? That speech was just so wonderful. That's, that can't just be the voice of a man. That's got to be the voice of God. It's not just the voice of a man. It's the voice of God, the voice of God and not a man. So here they start raising their chance to, to Herod. And instead of Herod saying, don't do that, he receives it. And God sends an angel to strike him. Eaten by worms, he died. But the book of Hebrews turns around after all these other texts say, don't do that, don't do that, don't give worship. In the book of Hebrews, it turns around and says, give worship. Give worship to who? Give worship to the son. You know, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, but do that for him. <laughs> don't give worship to anybody else, but do give worship to Jesus Christ. Christ is supreme. Jesus Christ is the one who's created all of creation. And just think about this with me for a minute. The first thing that you need in a construction project is you need a design, right? You need to know what, what you're constructing. What's, what's the design for this? And who's the designer of all things? Verse 16, for by him all things were created. That word by is the Greek word en. That's usually translated in, and it's here communicating that, that all the plans for the universe resided in Jesus Christ. He's the creative center of all things. He's the divine architect. The blueprints for the entire universe are found in Jesus Christ. Every galaxy, every planet, every star, every law that governs the universe, the solar system down to your circulatory system, all of that contained in Jesus Christ. Every strand of DNA for every creature everywhere contained in Jesus Christ. Every angelic being designed by Christ, by his infinite wisdom. The next thing that you need is, besides just the design, you need somebody who's going to put it together, right? You need the, the people with the skill and the talent who are going to put this project together. And who does that? Verse 16, it happens through him. Through him, end of verse 16, all things have been created through him. So he's the one who puts it all together. Talk about power. I mean, this is it. We, we don't have the, the power to create anything. You hear that? We, we don't create. We, we reorganize is what we do. You know, we have planes, trains, automobiles, you know, cell phones, computers. It's like, look at all the stuff that we've created. No, you didn't make anything. All, all you did is reorganize the stuff that's already here on the planet and repurpose it. You know, that's, that's all that you've been able to do. You know, it's gentrifying is what you do. You know, you, you, you don't make anything. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were made not of things which are visible. God didn't have any pre-existing material to work with. He just spoke and it came into being. He just speaks the word and by the sheer power of his word, everything jumps into being to, to say, aye, aye, sir, I'm here. <laughs> Like, like, that's what happens. There's this uh, little uh, uh, clip. It was a, a cartoon. It was like uh, somebody was saying that, you know, they wanted to challenge God to a, uh, a contest. And, you know, they say that, you know, I, I think I can be as creative as you are. I think I can, I can build the way that you do. And he says, okay, go for it. And they said, well, well, first I need some dirt. And then they said, no, make your own dirt. <laughs> God, God doesn't need anything to start with. He creates the material to work with. The, the clay that he formed man out of, he made that clay to form man out of it. Everything comes back down to him. He is the, the one who constructs all of creation. All things came into being through him. And after you put it together, you finally turn the keys over to whoever's going to occupy it, right? You turn the keys over to the, to the owner. And who, who's the one who gets the keys of the universe? 
Jesus does. <laughs> Verse 16, all things have been created through him and what? For him. He, he's the goal of creation. The apostle John, we read it earlier in uh, Revelation 5 and verse 2. It says, And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book? This title deed for the universe. Who's worthy to own it? Who's worthy to open it up? Who's worthy to receive the universe? Is anybody worthy? And they search high and low, and there's nobody found on earth, under the earth, in the heavens. Nobody is found that is worthy of it. And he begins to cry, who's worthy to open it up? And Jesus Christ is the lamb who is worthy. Jesus Christ is worthy to own and occupy the entire universe. Jesus is the one that all of creation has been created for. Do you know what that means? That means that you're not here for you. You're not here for you. You exist for Jesus Christ. That's, that's why you exist. That's why, I mean, all those questions that people say, you know, why am I here? What's my purpose? Your purpose is to serve Jesus Christ, to honor him, to worship him. You've been made for the glory of Christ. That's why you exist. And it's no wonder people are confused and depressed and, you know, wondering about life if they aren't serving Jesus Christ. You're living for something other than what you were created for in the first place. You're, you're living against your, your very nature, against who you've been created to be. You've been created for him. You're not here for you. You didn't make yourself. And because you didn't make yourself, you need to find out who did and serve him. Christ made us for himself. We're so occupied with chasing pleasures and comforts and dreams that we're missing out on the very reason for our existence. Is he worthy of it? Absolutely. Not only did he create it all, he also preexisted it all. Look at verse 17. He is before all things. That word before is always used in, a, in the sense of priority and time. And it's the same way that it's used here. That Jesus is before all things. And it could be assumed that he's before all things because he created all things. So you'd have to be before it in order to create it, right? And so right here we're, we're given another evidence for his deity. God is eternal. Romans 16 verse 26 speaks about that. 1 Timothy 1.17 uh, speaks about the king and says, Now to the king eternal praises God as the eternal one. Psalm 90 and verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From eternity past to eternity future, you are God. God exists outside of time. That's what it speaks about in uh, Exodus 3 and 14 where God speaks to Moses and he says, I am who I am. What does that mean? I'm self-sufficient, Moses. There's nothing before me. I'm dependent on nobody. I am, not I was. I am. I am the eternal existent I am. In order for man to exist, uh, we need a lot, don't we? <laughs> Actually, before God created man on the sixth day, there was days one through five. Why? Because man needed all that in order to exist, <laughs> You know, if, if you make man on day one, he, he's, 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 he's going to die immediately. He, he can't exist without everything else. We need so much support. <laughs> we need so much support. Everything else was preparation for mankind. You know, the light, the water, the air, the atmosphere. We needed all of that in order to survive. What does God need for his existence? Nothing. Nothing. Acts 17 verse 25 says, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. 
He needs nothing. He's before all things, the eternal I am. And then Jesus comes along in John 8, in verse 58, and says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. I am. He uses the same language that's used for God in the Old Testament. He says, I am. And then the Jews uh, pick up stones to throw at him. Why? Because you being a man, you're making yourself out to be God. You're blaspheming. We know what you're talking about. You're calling yourself God. Over in John 10 and verse 33, on another occasion, the the, the Jews uh, picked up stones to stone him. And he says, for what good work are you stoning me? They say, not for a good work, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. They understood exactly what Jesus was claiming about himself. The fact that he exists eternally, that he's self-existent, is calling himself God. If you want to burn a couple brain cells, think about that one for a while, right? That, that God never had a beginning. Never had a birthday. <laughs> as far back as you want to go into history, God's always there. You, you can't even begin to think of God in terms of age. There's nothing before him. He has no beginning. He's the eternal present. One year for him is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. What does that mean? It means that time doesn't matter to God. <laughs> what, what is time to a being who's eternal? It, it doesn't matter. A thousand years like one year, one year like a, a day. It, it doesn't matter. Why would... Why, 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 why would time matter to a God who's eternal? We need to give this God glory. And who is this God? This God is Jesus Christ. And lastly, we need to recognize that Jesus sustains all of creation. Look at verse 17. It says, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. They hold together. The same idea is repeated in uh, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 where it says that he upholds the, the world by his power. The power of his word upholds all things. In fact, if he were to to cease holding it together for a moment, we would disintegrate into nothing. Men need everything outside of themselves. God needs nothing. He sustains us. He is sustained by no one. God is independent. We are utterly dependent. In him, we live and move and have our being. I remember uh, when I used to hear that verse in Acts 17, you know, in him, we live and move and have our being. I thought it was, you know, kind of talking about a spiritual experience, you know, that we live in him and we move in him and we breathe in him. I just, I'm just so close to Christ. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that if it wasn't for him, you wouldn't live or move or exist. <laughs> you, you wouldn't have anything if it wasn't for him. You, you don't exist without God. I've heard it used of that spiritual experience, but it's saying that you don't, you don't exist at all. You don't have an experience without him. We depend on God for everything, life and breath and all things. Just to give you an illustration, according to the uh, medical encyclopedia put out by the U.S. National Library of Medicine and National Institutes of Health, it says that a healthy adult breathes 12 to 18 times every minute. That means by the time you finish listening to me today, you'd have taken between 720 and 1,080 breaths. By this time tomorrow, you would have taken between 17,280, 25,920 breaths. Next week, up to 181,440 breaths. By next year, 6,289,920 breaths. And if you live to 80 years old, up to 73,790,400 breaths in a lifetime. And every one of those is from your creator. You're welcome. <laughs> right? You're welcome. 
It's his power that enables you to breathe. Are you ready for this one? Our our heart beats an average of 70 beats a minute, 4,200 times an hour, 100,800 times a day, 705,600 times a week, 36,691,200 times a year. And if you live to be 80, guess, guess how many gifts you've been given? 2,935,296,000 times your heart has beat in a lifetime. Every one of those, a gift from God. I remember when um, I was uh, expecting our, our first child, and uh, I used to go to those prenatal visits, you know, and they, they uh, you know, put the goop on, and, you know, they try to find the, the heartbeat, and then you start hearing it. It's like, wow, wow. You know, the heartbeat, you know. Even before you're, you're out of the womb, your heart's beating. And I remember sometimes I'd go in and they'd have a hard time finding us. Like, hey, hold on, what's going on there? You know, find, find it again, find it. All right, there it is, there it is. Just listening for that, that heartbeat, you know. This is, this is my child whose who's heart's beating in there. And who was the one that kept that heart beating? That was God. <laughs> that was the sustaining work of God. He gives to people life and breath in all things. Do you, do you have any idea what that says about the supremacy of God? That not only does he create everything, but he also sustains everything. He upholds the earth by his power. It says that the, uh, it said that the earth, earth's rotation, if it were slowed down at all, we'd alternately freeze or burn. Same thing would happen if we were any further away from the sun or nearer to the sun. Our globe is tilted at an axis of 23 degrees, which enables us to have four seasons. If it wasn't tilted, great ice continents would pile up on the north and the south. If the moon didn't remain at its exact distance from the earth, the ocean tide would completely inundate the land twice a day. Carbon dioxide and oxygen in the earth's atmosphere will be completely absorbed. No vegetable life could exist. Somebody's got to make sure everything hangs together. And you say, who does that? Well, you know, a couple billion years ago, there was this small puddle. And over time, like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Are you kidding me? Well, you know, billions of years before that, there was just this big explosion and just everything. Are you kidding me? I mean, when, when you think about this, it's just the absurdity of it that somebody would think that all of that happens by time and chance. Time and chance equals nothing, okay? If you don't have a God who's orchestrating and organizing and sustaining, keeping us going, it is the supreme creator. He's supreme, the one who sustains the universe, keeps the sun burning, keeps the stars in place, keeps the earth spinning on its axis, sustains life from the very beginning of life in the womb, gives angels life, keeps man's heart beating, breath to all life. Do men realize that the very breath that they use to curse God has been given to them by God? (laughs) Christ is so precious, isn't he? So worthy, so valuable. We can't even begin to describe who our Lord is. And if you're here and you have not submitted your life to, to Jesus Christ, don't take the chance of facing a God like this in judgment. The, the one who gives you your breath, you know, every, every breath, a gift from God, to have to face him one day and say that I've never acknowledged you. I, I've never worshipped you. I've never, I've never turned to you. You know, some, some people, they, they, think about, um, uh, they think about sin as only, you know, the things that we, that we do. You know, like, oh, I've committed the sin. Sin is also what you don't do. <laughs> You know, Romans chapter 1 says, they refuse to glorify me. They refuse to worship me. That's the first thing that you have to do. You need to come to Christ and recognize who he truly is. 
Oh, we were talking about this uh, earlier in, a, in a, one of our Wednesday classes, you know, that there's uh, people who, you know, think that they do a lot of good things, you know, but they, they don't do the, the first thing, which is come to Christ. If you don't come to Christ, nothing else matters. You know, if, if I had a child and I said, hey, I, I need you to clean your room, and, uh, you know, they come to me an hour later and say, hey, look at this great picture that I drew of you, Dad. It's like, okay, that's, put the picture down. I want you to clean your room. Come back an hour later. It's like, hey, Dad, you know, I, said, I, I, I made the song for you, Dad. Does anything else please me? <laughs> no, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You do the first things first. You come to him first. You acknowledge him first. You worship him first. Then the things that you do are acceptable to God. You do the first things first. There's many people who live and, and they imagine that, you know, hey, I'm doing all these good things, but they haven't done the first thing. They haven't truly come to Jesus Christ. They haven't acknowledged him. They haven't worshiped him. They haven't bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, which is what all men will one day do, right? Bow the knee to Jesus Christ. Do that first. Do that first. Acknowledge Jesus first. One writer says, oh Lord, you have commanded me to believe in Jesus. I would flee to no other refuge. I would wash in no other fountain. I would build on no other foundation. I would receive from no other fullness. I would rest in no other relief. Jesus Christ is all and in all. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you, God, so much for uh, being able to uh, come before you to uh, uh, take a look at these passages. And uh, Father, I pray that you would help our hearts, Lord, just to be uh, lifted up in praise and worship to our great God, uh, to the one who's been described as God in Scripture, who is Jesus Christ, uh, the one who is the image of God, the invisible God, who is the firstborn over all creation. He is the one who is our Lord. He is the fullness of deity and bodily form, and it's him that we praise today. In Jesus' name we praise you and give you thanks. Amen. You have been listening to George Lawson, Jr. of Baltimore Bible Church. To hear other messages or to find out about upcoming events or where we meet for weekly church services, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. Baltimore Bible Church reserve all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available on our website and includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating CDs and all digital files.